Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talking the Cleveland.com podcast with Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, and your host, me, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Terry, you've been dealing with a power outage. How are things down there? Everything back to normal? Yes, I, I don't do. I have no idea why in perfect weather for a couple hours on my part of West Akron. The power went out, but it did. But we're back. We're functioning because you know what? We're tough and we do our podcast. That's right. We get, regardless of the weather or the power situation. But it, I it did have worse. breakfast. We could live in Texas, I have guess. Have you had so. breakfast by candlelight lately? Because uh, that was how we dined this morning. Oh, excellent. It's like uh, breakfast at Wimbledon, right? You, <laughs> you have strawberries and cream and a little candlelight. Yeah. All good to go. There you go. So, <laughs> so well, where right. are we starting? Let's start with the Guardians today, Terry. They're 43 okay. and 43, 500 heading into today's game mm-hmm. at Progressive Field against the White Sox. They're three and a half games out uh, behind the Twins. The Twins have really been helping them out, Terry. The Twins, yes, they have. You know, the Guardians have gone three and seven on their last ten. The Twins are five and five, <laughs> and that's kind of helped keep it close for the Guardians. And a couple of big wins this week for the Guardians coming out of uh, mm-hmm. a rough road trip. And more than that, it helped, it's helping to keep the White Sox in third place, um, what they've done so far. But Let me ask the, you a question. Ahead, I want to yeah. ask you. If I were to tell you that basically at the halfway point, and they're a little bit past that right now, and you were to, to um, know that the Guardians were at 500. How would you feel about it? I think if I were if I were the front office, I would feel pretty good. I think they're they're in striking distance. You know, I, I watch Moneyball all the time when it's on TV, mm-hmm. and and they say, you know, we're not. It's it's only March and April. We're not where we need to be. We don't have a big enough sample size. Where you expect to be in the race by July, and I think that's mm-hmm. where the Guardians are. They're like in, they're in it. And things have not gone perfectly for them, let's be honest. I mean, with the injuries they've had to the pitching staff and some other guys being out of the lineup, it's mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a disjointed first half, hasn't it? And when you look at the fact they're starting pitching, to me, it's just not been what they really hoped. I, I think it's pretty good. And then if you say, okay, what what all right, what have we learned at the halfway point? Uh, you, you start and then I'll come in. What do you think? I think we've learned that some of these guys are going to pan out. Some of these, you know, and you wrote about this before the season, Terry, about they mm-hmm. wanted to let the, the kids play. And I think we're seeing that there is some talent here and that this thing is, is has got the potential to work. Um, that's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Well, at the start of the season, you go, they have no outfielders except Miles Straw. 
Uh, and by the way, Miles is starting to hit, thank goodness, because that was that was getting to be ridiculous where he was dropped under 200. Um, because he came into this year with a career 265 batting average. Now, not a lot of power, but, you know, you had 250, 260. And this is where those um, analytics on fan graphs match the uh, eye test. By far, he is the elite defensive center fielder in the American League, uh, uh, Straw is. So you get that, and when in the past, the different players they played out there, Mercado, whatever, they were terrible. I remember Tyler Naquin. I always liked Tyler Naquin. I didn't like him in center field. They've been looking for somebody to just go catch the ball. So if he hits 250 or 260, which he probably will, maybe he doesn't quite get there this year, you're fine with That's why they gave him the money. But they had nobody else in the outfield back then. Remember, we were talking about who's going to play the outfield, what – they kind of rolled the dice with Stephen Kwan, not knowing what was going to happen there. And to me, to watch how he played with the big April, batting 170 in May, and then bouncing back at over 300 in June has continued into July. This is a big deal, uh, David, because a lot of those guys end up, remember, 85% of all players go back to the minors at least once. Now, perhaps that happens in year two or year three with him, but, uh, he's bounced back, and now when you look in right field, what are you seeing? I'm seeing Oscar Gonzalez <laughs> coming mm-hmm. back off being injured and giving them uh, a different kind of player and a different kind of bat that they can they that they can put out there every day. What are you seeing? And you also have Nolan Jones, so you have two possibilities. You need to get a power bat out there because that's the one problem. Is straws no power? I don't want Quan to start thinking about power. I want Quan to just keep doing exactly what he does. Um, so you have now two possibilities out there. And I also think next year, and I meant to write this in my notes the other day when I talked about trading Reyes and Owen Miller for first. I think uh, I had some of the organization tell me Nolan Jones is a possibility for first base also. he hasn't. He's only played one game there, but they just believe he – Played a lot of third outfield. He's a he was a hockey player, as they always say. Tell me that he's a hockey player. He's a good athlete. You're a hockey guy, so he could probably get his feet his his footwork going uh, to play first base. So that could be a, a thing there if Oscar pans out. So I think right there, uh, if you're a Guardians fan, and I'm not just making this up, you know, this is you could talk to people around baseball. They go, they're getting somewhere with finding some position players. So, Terry, let's get into to, uh, Nolan Jones a little bit, and then we'll get into the Fran Reyes thing. So, last week we were talking about Will Brennan. Mm-hmm. You thought kind of his profile and what he was doing kind of fit what the Guardians needed to kind of give them a little bit of a boost. They went with Nolan Jones, and I guess that's why they're in the front office of a baseball team and we're, yes. we're working in media. But So, Nolan Jones comes in six games. He's batting 4-12. 500 on base percentage, 706 slugging percentage, mm-hmm. eight RBIs. He's got a homer. Um, there was a little bit more to this decision, wasn't there, in in terms of just comparing player versus player, in terms of the 40-man roster and 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 Nolan Jones being on the 40-man roster and Will Brennan not being on the 40-man roster. Yeah, they were – I mean, to me, I could find some guys on that 40-man roster to take off if I really wanted to bring up Will Brennan. But – uh, they wanted to decide to look at their other guys. For example, Ernie Clement. I mean, if you put him on waivers, does anybody pick him up? You know, Oscar Mercado, he's there, he's gone, he's there, he's gone. 
but they wanted to decide to go with Nolan Jones first. And, and I, part of it there, along with the roster issue, he was a second round pick in 2016. You know, he's one of their guys and they want to make sure on that. And I mean, look, Nolan played 23 games in AAA this year. He was sitting 311 OPS of 917. Uh, I just thought he hadn't played that many games, but they brought him up and, and he's, he's looked terrific so far. So we, we shall see. I was talking to Tom Hamilton, who uh, saw more of Nolan in spring training than I did, and he said Nolan definitely has shortened his swing up from what it was before. Because the year before, Nolan Jones batted like 238 in AAA. Uh, so that's, a, that's why they went with him. Meanwhile, you know, if you look at Will Brennan, uh, I just think that uh, you're going to see a guy there that I think can eventually play in the big leagues and um, and let's see, what's he? Oh, oh, he's all the way down to 237. I'm sorry, 337. He was at 350 before, so uh, he's doing just fine. Doesn't have a lot of power, but he drives and runs. I mean, he's got 30 RBIs and 40 games at uh, uh, at AAA and at AA. He was pounding the ball too. So outfielders, I guess it's a long way of saying they actually have some young outfielders to pick from. And so the question that we can move to now, Terry, is should they – you wrote about uh, – you've written about Fran Reyes. Mm-hmm. The, the Guardians asked him, hey, can you lose some weight? We'd like to put you in the outfield. And it doesn't appear like that's happened. He just he wants didn't to do DH. It. He didn't and do it. We, we've been around this franchise long enough to see the way things work, Terry. If you're struggling and, you know, you're, you can't put good wood on the ball or if you're struggling in the outfield, they'll work with you and give you time to get through some problems. But mm-hmm. things like this, I don't know – that they sit well in terms of, Hey, we'd like you to lose some weight. If you don't lose the weight, they, they don't like it when you don't contribute to the grand plan of what they're trying to make happen. And also when you're not producing, you know, he's had a couple of good, I'm going to get his stats up here in a moment. I got him right here, Terry, if you want to, he's betting 220 this season with a 369 slugging percentage in 56 games, 92 strikeouts in 214 at bats. And that's terrible. Yeah. He strikes out. so So should they move him? And that's a regression, David. See, that's the other thing. Um, you could probably find somebody would want to take him because they would go with the, the previous two years when he played 162 games, he hit 37 and 30 homers. So you can say, well, we can get him, we can fix it. And, you know, it's always hard to find a power bat. But right now he looks lost. And, you know, they are a, a team that, I mean, they they don't deal with a lot of nonsense. Their feeling is they just, if you're not going to kind of do it their way. And also remember now he's starting to get in deeper in arbitration. Uh, are you going to pay this guy a ton of money or, or something else where their thinking could be, okay, if they let him go, they move him, you put Naylor as your DH and you could, whether you go with Owen Mill or somebody else for the rest of this year, maybe Nolan Jones plays there next year. Um, that's what that's what you do. I've been really disappointed in Reyes. Disappointed in that he didn't um, lose the weight to try to play the outfield. Disappointed that he just goes up and he just seems to throw away at bats. Just throw them away with, with a terrible approach. And I don't get it. But I know they have talked to him. They even had a uh, meeting in Boston where he sat down with Big, Big Poppy who explained to him, you know, how the, how this works. You want to play forever like I did, all that stuff, because um, 
Poppy was his big hero growing up. Uh, so far, it you know, it hasn't been that successful. I'm just checking to see how old he is. He's 27. You know, 27, you know, it's like, okay. It's time to do something. Yeah, one thing the Guardians have going in their favor is with the DH in both leagues now, there's a lot more mm-hmm. market for him, right? Heading into the All-Star break here, there's a lot more teams that would have interest if, if someone can't play the outfield. There's a, there's a lot more spots than there used to be. So, And if you look at their bigger picture, you got Valeras coming up. I think he's going to be going up to AAA pretty soon. I mentioned Will Brennan. Um, you know, there are a lot of players that they could pop in a DH. Or I'd, I look at Josh Naylor, and I admire him tremendously, David, because you could see he's dragging that leg around. And he's having a really good year in spite of it. I mean, his career was in jeopardy. That that the tibia and all that stuff that was a it's like being run over by a truck what happened to this guy and so he's come back but he you know it's 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 not been good i don't know what happened to owen miller at first base he can't catch a throw i mean he th- he was not this bad early in the season now it's like he's regressed on that so and he's kind of one of my guys so i'm mad at him too how's that <laughs> I'm mad at right, so I know he's trying. He's just not catching throws. I'm mad at Reyes because I don't think he's trying. Yeah, well, you get into something important here, though, Terry. If, if they do move Framil Reyes, it yeah. opens up at bats and it opens up playing time, and it, it gives it gives the Guardians a lot more flexibility in terms of a, a, a daily lineup and making changes each day, making adjustments. Mm-hmm. When when you know, he's not there, you 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 can put the you can put these guys at first. You can put them in the outfield. You could just have tell Jose. You're going to be the DH today. You could be DH and cheerleader today if you want, but you'd got to get off your feet because uh, this guy's – I'm not surprised he's still standing up. He's been carrying the team for months and months. And remember, he hurt his thumb, and you, you have to keep this in mind when it comes to Jose. He never tells you he's hurt. A, a couple of years ago when he had a big first half, then it turned out he had a, a, a stress fracture in his hand. He played the whole second half. And then he came back and had a good year the following year. But I wonder what the heck happened to him after that. And the difficult thing, too, is when you have a bad hand, uh, it could kind of impact your swing, not only in power, but you maybe swing a little differently. Now, he looks like he's doing better with his swinging and, and a little more pounding on the bat. But we also got to look at that lineup when Jose's not right. And it was like, ugh. Yeah, and the numbers bear that out when he's not in there. So, all right, Terry, before we move off the Guardians, heading into the All-Star break, it's a good time. We all saw the four-game sweep that happened in Detroit, and I think you called it sloppy and uninspired yeah. play. Uh, you know, Terry Francona has a it's, a it's a tough challenge managing a young team like this, but what, what grade would you give him at, at the midway point of the season in terms of how he's managed this? A team? minus, B plus. You know, he's, he's had to go up. He's had to make adjustments. Um it's it's not an easy team to manage uh, because you you have so many unknowns. Um, and one other thing, I too, I wanted to mention along those lines. We talk about the guys making the All Star team. I remember the Browns were playing. I want to say in Dallas or somewhere else like that. And I want to I keep thinking it's Dallas because the trade was made with Texas. And so we get this text, the uh, Guardians at press conference, and it. It was Corey Kluber going to the Rangers. And I'm listening, and it's Delano DeShields and Classe. And I'm going, Emmanuel Classe, I've never heard of him. Now, he pitched briefly with the Rangers, so we're all scrambling. And you see the numbers were good in like 20-some innings or whatever it was with the Rangers. 
And you're thinking, well, now Kluber at that point, um, he was he had hurt his shoulder and he got hit with a line drive. He was starting to come undone, wearing down. So that was probably the best they could get. But they nailed it. And well, then everybody you, knows who he is now. That's yep, for sure. That's for sure. And he might be the best going in the American League. Now you go to the Lindor deal. How about this? There's a story in the in the New York Post because they, they they salivate on a story like this. Uh, $341 million Frankie Lindor did not make the all-star team, but Jimenez did. Now, Jimenez was a uh, top prospect coming out of Venezuela. The Mets signed him for a million two. That's big money for a player like that. And But he was only 16 years old. You don't know. He came to the majors in 2020 at the age of 20. And struck, and he wasn't too bad. Remember, last year he was terrible, but now you could just see that this is, in other words, he was a highly regarded prospect from the beginning. And so it looks like they nailed that one. Yeah, it makes you wonder why teams, why teams trade with the Guardians. It's like they get over on just about everybody they trade with. Yeah, it's they, really something. That's you know, you have to see. I mean, Grant. You know, the, the Bauer deal didn't work out as well as they hoped because they think they thought Reyes would be a guy that hit 25 to 30 homers for quite a while. Uh, and then they had a pitcher named Moss that I liked, and he hurt his arm, and there were a couple other guys in there. That just didn't pan out. But, of course, Bauer ended up having all kinds of problems too because, remember, he went to the Reds first, then he left there, and just, you know, it's then you're in Trevor land. Now, I don't think they knew that Trevor had so many off-the-field problems, but they did know that Trevor was very difficult. And that was wearing them out. All right. So Guardians have four games this. Well, they're playing Chicago today to wrap up that series on Wednesday and then four against Detroit and then the All-Star break. So how about them? Let's see how they play this weekend. This is kind of a test for them because, you know, are you thinking about, boy, I got three days off. And if some of these guys are going to Arizona or wherever they're going to go to visit, you know, friends and relatives, or are they going to concentrate and finish strong? So I'm, I'm anxious to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I do wonder if there's a little animosity from last week where they got swept in Detroit. Now they got four here in mm-hmm. Cleveland, and it's not like they're just playing some random team. They just played a team that just spanked them four in a row. And what did so. you say? How far are they behind the Twins? Three and a half games. Isn't that amazing? Yep. It's good to not be in the AL East. Yes, it for is. Sure. <laughs> and as I've told people, you're really not – your job – you want to beat the Yankees right when you play them, but you're not directly competing with the Yankees. You're competing with the Twins. You know, we can see the Cubs, the Cubs, the White Sox are a mess. They are talking about the underachievers, and this thought of bringing back Tony Larusa, it just made no sense to me when they did it. Well, now we're seeing anonymous reports from players about there's no leadership in the clubhouse so yeah i don't know that i don't know that he makes it through the all-star break but uh we'll see jerry reinsdorf is jerry I'm... reinsdorf and tony larusa jerry reinsdorf the owner of the white Sox, and tony larusa go back a long way back to the 80s and yeah they've always been they've always supported each other and uh so we'll see how that this how reminded that me out. when earl weaver came back but it wasn't as many years as a couple of years he came back with the orioles and his heart wasn't in it and remember Mer- Earl Weaver to me, because I had him as a manager in 79 when I was a young writer in Baltimore. I mean, he is the manager, the greatest. And he, I wrote a book, Weaver on Strategy, with him. Um, and so we really – I learned his way of thinking in that. And he was kind of the best of uh, early money ball before it got called that. 
and some analytics. He invented the stats of hitters against pitchers. He invented those uh, to use that. Uh, but if your heart's not in it and your energy's not there, it's, it's the wrong job to have. And that's what I see with LaRusso. He may say his heart's in his energy. Look at All right, well, we'll see what the White Sox look like after we get past this weekend. So, Terry, let's get into some Browns, um, or former Browns, I guess, in the case of Baker Mayfield. His press conference in Carolina was yesterday. What did you think from what you heard? I thought he did a good job with it, Um, that he stayed out of the the dumb. I'm sure they prepped him, but that sometimes in the past did not prevent Baker from going way off message anyway. Uh, But I think he figured out, Number one, the fans, you know, they've kind of rallied around him some after this whole Deshaun Watson thing and that. Even people who don't mind the fact that uh, he's gone just feel he got a bad rap, you know, the, the, the way it came down. And so I think he got a lot of that feedback, and he was very complimentary to the fans. Secondly, where he said, I should have kept things in-house, you better believe it, buddy, and you better not do that again. You know, if you have to bite all the way through your tongue until it's uh, bleeding, uh, you better do that. Well, if he didn't, if he didn't learn about keeping things in a house in Cleveland, Terry, he learned about it when he set foot in Carolina, and Matt Rule and the, and the people down there yeah. told him, "You are going to keep things in a house, or you're not going to be around here very long." <laughs> so. Yeah, and then he also just needs to make sure that um, if you're really hurt or not playing well, go with it. You know, don't just try to be this this tough guy because you could wreck your career doing that. Yeah, and you wrote about this, Terry, about the, about the fan love of Baker, and it, you know, it reminded me. You know, the NFL is a very team, yeah, uh, loyal league where you follow a team and you follow that team for decades, as opposed to the NBA where you, a lot of people follow players mm-hmm. and they they'll follow players who goes from team. This Baker thing kind of reminded me a little bit of an NBA player. Because there's people who love Baker, and whether he's playing for the Browns or the Panthers or whoever, they're going to follow him just because they love what he represents and how he plays and the kind of guy he is. And it, it was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you wrote about that, but it just made me think of the NBA and how there's going to be Baker fans who are going to follow him now and cheer for him wherever he's at. Yeah, I think they hope he does well. I hope he does well. You know, it's, it's irrelevant. As I said to you, if the, the, if the Browns wanted to turn around straight a second or third round pick for Matt Ryan because they're tired of Baker, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I didn't like the, the Watson just because of the price and everything else there. But uh, it wasn't like I'm, I'm a big Baker fan. But I also saw that this is the way the thing came down. Um, and then, the, the, you know, the, guard, the Guardians, the Browns, what they did with that is because of all the resources and everything thrown in Watson's direction, the rest of the NFL knew we don't have to trade anything for this guy. You know, while the Browns are waiting for the best deal they could get, the rest of the NFL is waiting to see that, hey, we don't need to do a whole lot. I mean, if I'm Seattle, and I, they still have Drew Locke and uh, uh, who's their other quarterback? Used to be Geno Smith. I can't play with those guys. I'd rather have Baker than those guys. But Oh, for sure. They decided. Because, you know, the thing about Baker, Baker's overall stats, he's an average quarterback, but he's never had an average year. It's really odd. You look at 2018, and – it was a very good – He said, I believe he set an NFL rookie record for touchdown passes with 27. Then in 19, he was bad. 20, he was good, you know, especially by the end of the year. And at 21, he was awful. And five coaches in five years. So he's got yes, another Yes, that's what he's player. had. 
and he's had coordinators. And there is a bit of an asterisk next to his performance last year because he was legitimately hurt. He had surgery afterwards. And also when your shoulder is bad, then all of a sudden your ankle gets hurt. You know, everything gets messed up. So, Terry, will Baker Mayfield be starting for the Panthers on opening day, September 11th against the Browns? Unless he's terrible in camp, I would think so. Because, David, the year you saw from Baker this past year, that's about what you get from Sam Darnold every year. I don't, yeah, I don't mean, I, just I look at the that, numbers. Yeah, if, he, if Baker's healthy, he's going to start. I, I don't think there's any doubt. You don't make this that. trade unless you just say, we can't go into the year with Sam Darnold. Unless this guy's just brutal. Uh, we're going to yeah. go with it. The other thing that came out of the press conference, I love Baker's quote about the Browns game on September 11th. Yeah. He said, it's going to have a little more history and personal meaning. Of course, he loves all that. that. That could lead him down a bad road. I will say this. I remember he got into this thing with Hugh Jackson when Hugh Jackson went to the Bengals. And he was, I mean, Baker Mayfield, like he was back at Oklahoma playing when he would play the Bengals back then. So, and he's, you know, he's always played pretty well against the Bengals. So yeah, this, this is a guy who got, who got fired by the Browns and then takes a job with the Bengals and, as an assistant and Baker is all riled up to beat him. <laughs> I mean, and this, this Browns game on September 11th is going to have a little more personal. Yeah. Meaning. I would think it, I would think it will. If you know anything about Baker Mayfield, he is going to be. And the other way is, you know, them. You Baker was that. not on great terms with everybody on the team here by the time he left. So there will be a few guys. It'll be interesting to see how many flags fly for late hits and everything else. Uh, all right, Terry. Uh, hey, let's take a break. Um, we're still waiting on the Deshaun Watson decision from the NFL. That could be coming before camp starts uh, on July 27th, or it might not. We, we're waiting to see Sue Robinson is working through the evidence, and uh, we will see how that pans out. But let's take a break, Terry. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, – I know you want to talk about the Nets and the trade with the Cavs and um, – Jared Allen, and we'll talk about your faith column for this week. We got some good Hey Terry questions, and we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. Terry, uh, you had a really interesting column the other day about the Nets, how they're kind of in shambles. Kevin Durant wants out. It looks like Kyrie Irving says he wants to stay in Brooklyn, whether Kevin Durant is there or not. And it's gone from a big three to Kind of nobody knows what the future is there. And the Cavs have figured into this whole thing, haven't they, in terms of the trade and, and, and what they ended up with in Jared Allen? Yeah, I mean, first you go to Kyrie Irving, who can't find a team that he likes or whatever. Remember, he didn't like playing with LeBron after three years. And then he went to the Celtics, a real sports town. I mean, I remember that comment and all this. And he left that thing a mess. And they did they did not play nearly as well with him as they did without without him. Then he goes to Brooklyn and he's played, I think, only 26 games or whatever it was with Durant total because one guy's been hurt, the other guy's been hurt, one guy's not been vaccinated. But in the middle of that Nets thing where Kyrie and Kevin uh, Durant were trying to be GM in the franchise is letting him, they decided they need James Harden. And that led to this complicated trade with eventually um, – you know, Harden coming to Cleveland, I'm sorry, excuse me, Cleveland getting into the trade because they needed first round picks to send to uh, Houston. And 
the Cavs had an extra one left over. I believe it was from Milwaukee, and uh, I forgot which deal that was involved with that. So they threw it in there, and Jared Allen came this way. The deal, Kobe Altman says, we'll help you with a first-round pick, but we want Jared Allen. And they said, well, if you take Jared Allen, you've got to take Torrey and Prince for a year. They said, that's fine. And then you turn around, I love this, and you connect all the dots. Well, of course, Jared and Allen stays here, signs a long-term deal, and makes the all-star team. Torian Prince gets traded for Ricky Rubio. Harden has been a disaster. The Nets are in shambles. And so there we are. And then now you look at – and uh, Rubio's back, you know, for more. So those are the kind of deals you have to make uh, to get from where you're going 20 and 62 all the time to where the Cavs were at 500 in the same way. And I love Laurie Nash Jr. And I was not thrilled when he got traded, although Nance was very open. He thought he was going to go to a playoff team with Portland. He, his agent asked to, to look around for there, and they turned into Laurie Marketing. Well, I think all of us who've really looked at the league right now would rather have Marketing than Laurie Nance Jr. So these are the kind of things that you do to take your team in Cleveland where it's still hard to bring in free agents, big-time free agents, but you bring in younger players, you you get them here, and then you have a chance to keep them. And the Nets, I'm so sorry that they came out of this with nothing. (laughs) I bet you are. It is interesting, though, Terry. You look at the different way that teams try to build their Mm -hmm. roster. You have the Nets, which went tried to go with a big three. It all fell apart. You've got the the Cavs, who are trying to kind of do it with – a young core and bring it up together. And then you look at teams like the thunder. I think they have 19 first round picks and 19 second round picks over the next seven or eight years. And that's just crazy. That's like the extreme opposite of what the nets are doing. It's, it's really interesting to see the philosophy that different teams use. Yeah. What you want to do is use those as Kobe Altman did there where um, to help you and bring in players that you can, you can keep for a while. You know, marketing, I think, is on a four-year contract. Nice thing we sit there, about, we talk about the Cavs. You don't go, all right, Kevin Love's off the books for this upcoming year, or Karis LeVert, but you don't go, oh, my goodness, they're going to lose Garland. No, they just signed Garland to a max. And they probably will be able to sign Mobley to a max because that's one thing. The first maximum contract, most guys take it. Even LeBron took it. So you generally get that guy, you have him for five or six years. So you you should have the combination. Jared Allen has got four more years in his contract. But, uh, so you'll be able to have these guys see the next four years together. And then you try to build around them. I mean, right now, I don't know. How do you, would, would you want to move love or not? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I mean, he's only got one year left, right? Mm-hmm. And And he loves playing on this team. And you, you think about it, Terry, in the playoffs, when you get in there, scoring is at such a premium. And Kevin Love is someone who knows how to score. When, when you need a bucket, you can kick it out to him. Or he, he can, there's, there's some things he can do to get you a bucket in a playoff game when you need it. And that's and, where, by the way, um, J.B. Bickerstaff has to uh, go back and look at that tape of the Atlanta game. And I recently watched second half. He only, uh, Kevin played 93 seconds in the second half. They were concerned about Kevin Love was being put in a pick-and-roll defense with Trey Young. But he watched that whole game. Nobody guarded Trey Young. It didn't matter. But well, meantime – switching and switching, and they couldn't stop it. You're right. Nobody was scoring for the Cavs. 
Darius Garland's out there taking 27 shots. The man needed oxygen. He needed a nap. He needed all kinds of help. And But there was nobody out there where Kevin, if he had come in there and said, Kevin, we need some points. Don't look for your shot. You know, go down the low block, do some stuff here. Because remember, Jared Allen's playing with one hand, and 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 I think Mobley was a little bit. He was okay, but this was his first experience with that. So that's one thing where I would sit down with my coach and say, now, JB, we all love defense, but we need to score 100 points here. And you got Kevin, and this is why we have Kevin. And so, and I just think that Kevin, the Kevin love that we saw last year, who was with the younger players and into it and back in JB, that's the love that they wanted to see when they gave the big contract to him a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the other thing about Kevin Love, Terry, is it, some guys come into the league and they play one way. And then as they get older and their legs may, maybe aren't as springy, they, mm-hmm. they have to change their game. Kevin Love's game has been pretty similar since he came into the league. You know, it's, a, it's like you said, posting up. He can shoot threes. His game hasn't changed that much, and I don't think it needs to as he starts to get older and, and, and time goes on. A shocking thing, David, he actually blocks out when he goes to get rebounds. That's one of those lo- – there's two lost arts, I think, in basketball. One is big men blocking out and then going to get the rebound. The other is throwing the ball to the low post at the right time. Uh, you, you seldom see it. I'm, this is back in the old days when uh, cast practices were open. And Lenny Wilkins would allow us to watch. And he had Brad Doherty, especially. And we saw so many different angles and ways to get the ball to the post. Hubie Brown, who I loved, and Hubie Brown always, not a little exaggeration, claimed he had 41 different ways to get the ball to three different spots on the low block to Bernard King and somebody else. And he also helped design plays back when he was a young assistant to get the ball to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he was a little cinder with the Milwaukee Bucks way in the old days. So it's fun to to look at that, but it's true. You do need these big guys, and those old skills still matter. For sure, yeah. I think he's worth. I think he's worth keeping around, especially with just one mm-hmm. year left. So, all right, Terry. So the Cavs have a summer league game today in Las Vegas. I think it's at five o'clock Eastern time, and then their last one is on Friday, unless they make the. Uh, do they still have playoffs? I have no I don't playoffs. Know like playoffs. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Summer League, Terry, one of the cool things I thought, there was a great game the other night. It went into overtime. It was the Thunder, and I can't remember who they were playing. But it went into overtime. It was a two-minute overtime, and then it was still tied after the two-minute overtime, so there was sudden death. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that. I wow. It was really cool. So yeah. you know, sometimes they experiment with stuff in the Summer Leagues, and, and Richard Jefferson was refed a quarter of a game the other night. So they sometimes you see these things. Uh, it's like an incubator for fun, different ideas. So we'll see if any of that comes out. You know, it would be fun. You get some of the NBA refs to critique the tape of Richard Jefferson's quarter with him. <laughs> Yeah, they they yeah he he posted a video of him sitting in the referee room uh, during the the clinic out in Vegas and the the ref who introduced him up at the front I forget who it was says and uh, Richard Jefferson's here we're really excited to have someone with us who never committed a foul yeah I figured, yeah that 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 is that's the layup and he took it but yeah, you know there we, you know so you I did not see the full game out of Baji you you said you saw it what did you see yeah I think he's I think he's what they are saying he is which is a three and d guy and mm-hmm. he's not someone who can put the ball on the deck and kind of create his own shot necessarily that might come 
later, but he he's big. He can get his shot off when he's coming off a pick or moving a little bit. Really good range, beautiful shot. It's a very high arcing shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, we, we saw him at Kansas too. But I think he's going to be fine. I think he I think he's right for the Cavs. Let me put it that way, for what well, they need right now. You know, when I look at players, uh, I said, well, what's his one NBA skill? Three point shooting. Three point shooting. It's a valuable skill. Right up there, because you and I were talking about this, and I had another old man's moment where I couldn't remember his name, but finally did. Bryn Forbes, who actually started his career with the Cavaliers, I'm sorry, with Cleveland State, excuse me, started with Cleveland State for two years, transferred to Michigan State. Then he went to the San Antonio Spurs, and uh, he made that uh, team, I believe, as an undrafted free agent. And so he is now in year number eight. And the reason is he could make three pointers. Yeah, career 413 three point. He played five years with the Spurs and then bounced with Milwaukee and now Denver. And so you've noticed teams that kind of prize those things like him. And he hasn't start that often. He started 167 games in those eight years. But um, so you, you look at that. Chris Fedor has mentioned Danny Green as a comparison for um, Abaje. That's a good one, too. Uh, if this guy can make three-point shots and guard somebody, he can play a long time. And that's what you're going to get in the middle of the first round. You're not going to get this great all-around player. Yeah, and it's always fun to see guys like Bryn Forbes that they they fight and scrap mm-hmm. to get into the NBA. And then if you're good, if you're a good teammate and you do the things like you said, if you have the skills that fit the team, you can stay in the league a long time and so. make a lot of money. I yep. would guess Bryn Forbes has probably made about twenty some million dollars. And good for him. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, Terry, I want to get into your faith column this week. It was an interesting topic you got into, and we all have had to deal with this, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. at times in our lives about what do you say when a friend dies? And the lead of your column, which will be up on Cleveland.com Saturday and then in the Plain Dealer on Sunday, someone said, hey, you know, this this woman I know has died. I've known her for a long time, but I don't really have anything nice to say about her. And, And he kind of was asking you about how he should approach that. I thought you had some really thoughtful response for him. Right, because that was it's a guy I work out with, and he had been telling me about her for years. And she's a lady with a weight problem, and then towards the end of her life developed uh, addiction to some uh, painkillers. But this is a person that he he would talk, you know, one of those things where it's, it's almost like you talk about your sister or your brother, you know, the sibling thing. They kind of drive you nuts, but you you keep talking about them all the time and this. And then so I, and he goes, well, they, they're big and making a nice Facebook page and they want me to, I guess she, she ended up in the nursing home out of state, wanted me to, to uh, write something for the funeral and I don't know what to say. And I said, well, you've been talking about her forever. Isn't she a loyal friend? She was a great loyal friend. I go, well, you start there. Now, the, the caveat to all this, look, if this is somebody that physically or sexually abused you or whatever, the funeral comes, they could, you know, whatever. You don't have to show up. You don't have to say anything or whatnot. Um, but I said, so then we talked. I said, what else? He said, well, you know, she always was like real supportive and he tried different careers. I said, well, you got that, you know, but she would just drive me nuts about this or that. I said, the friends that know her know that part too. I don't think we need to dwell on that. And so that was one that then got me thinking about some other things in my life. And uh, I had another friend that um, 
was raised in a, a very a, a tough Slovak family. And they came over, and he was first-generation American. His parents came over from the old country. And I, when I was young, I was at their house and that. And the mother spoke English, and she was very friendly. Her father, uh, America and England and English really were tough for him. He kind of worked at the TRW plant or one of those. And, but, you know, gruff. And so I remember he says to me, he goes, well, you know, they want me to say something at Dad's funeral. And so I said, well, what about him? Well, you know, he just didn't say much. He was, I said, uh, was he there? Oh, yeah. He goes, he was there. You know, he supported us and that. I go, you start there. And what else about him? I said, well, do you have friends that didn't have fathers? Yeah. I said, well, what about that? You know, I said, he didn't beat anybody or anything. No. He goes, no, you could, you know, he just was, I said, it was hard for him. That's what I just thought. So he ended up doing the, he actually then sat down and made a list of some things and I was at the funeral and he stood up and he gave a little nice 10 minute thing and told a couple of even funny stories, sort of the cultural things. And afterward he goes, I am so glad I did that. And I said, yeah, you know, it's not about lying, but also when these people die and you're asked to do something, it's, it's not a job evaluation. Yeah, that was a good comparison, I thought. Yeah. And, and, you know, these kind of things, Terry, they only come around once when they yes. happen. And you don't want to look back and regret, geez, I, I blew it. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's not about you. A lot of people, it was a really interesting story you had in there, Terry. Um, and I didn't know this, but you said at your mom's funeral, yes. some woman came storming up to you and basically said, I have to tell you something about your mother. And you had an interesting response to that. Yeah, I, I just thought. said, I really don't need to hear it now. You know, and this my, woman was trying to turn a, 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 an emotional day yeah. for you and your family. My mother into, died. You know, something about her. And it's like, yeah. it's not about you. No, I mean, she wanted to settle a score here. I don't know what it was. You know, actually, later on, I kind of got a clue on what it was. But it doesn't matter. I mean, she, my mother died. She had a heart attack. And three days later, she died. It was like alien swooped in and took her away at the age of 58. So this is not a time to settle stores, scores. And I told uh, my friend from the health club that too. I said, remember, you're not settling scores here <laughs> and it's not a job evaluation. It's your friend. I said, you can say what you want. I've been, I've been working out with you for like more than 10 years. I've been hearing about this lady for a long time in her health struggles and this, and, and she helped you back when that. I said, just go with that. Yeah. So check that out this weekend. Terry, I know you've been, the name of your column faith and you has been really important. You wanted the, and you part, I think mm-hmm. is really applicable in, in the case of this column, especially, and every week you do this, but uh, it's, it's stories that you tell that people can take in, and kind of use in their daily lives. So uh, you know, a lot of people appreciate that you do this every week and be sure yep. to catch that one this weekend. It's a good one. I'm just thankful that one, the plain dealer has guts enough to run it because it comes from a Judeo Christian perspective you know, and that, and you will not find a column like this in any other major paper or website, you know, new news website in the country, because they simply are afraid of that. And so I'm grateful to the readers and I'm grateful for uh, whether it was Chris Quinn or, or Tim Wersinski. And then originally it was Deborah Adams Simmons and Susan Goldberg, who, when they recruited me to come up from the Beacon Journal, I had written it down there. And I said, well, if I don't get to do it, I'm not coming. And they were fine with it. Because I just felt God had opened a unique door in a commercial outlet. They always talk about mainstream media, this and that. Well, I'm looking for somebody else to try it anywhere else. And nobody wants to, nobody wants to get near the topics like that. And it's not a political column. It's not like, you know, abortion or 
uh, gay rights or any of those things. It's more of like we, what we talk about week to week, you know, where we're living. Because you can find all kinds of other stories on that. One was, as I, I've never read a story about what I wrote about there. And it just kind of came from there about, well, all right, here's the funeral. What do I say? You know, all that. Yeah, and, and these are topics we all deal with. And we mm-hmm. all have to deal with, and it's really good to be able to draw on kind of some of the some of the things you bring up. So, all right, Terry, let's get into some Hey Terry questions. We're uh, running short on time here. This one is from Pete from Vienna, and this might be our last Baker question. You never know. I he doubt. Says, every, he says, "Hey, Terry, <laughs> hey Terry, everyone I know believes it was obvious that Baker was injured last year and should not have played. Troy Aikman said it was clear to him that the shoulder brace hindered Baker from throwing deep." or accurately if the doctors cleared him they must have meant to mow the lawn or rake the leaves <laughs> not play quarterback in the nfl um and B- baker said he was too stubborn to come out in his press conference yesterday so do we want to bring the case keenum horse out of the barn one last time yes. or, i don't know any thoughts on? and also the fact is this okay whether you're too stubborn or not you know they talk about adults in the room well the adults in the room they must not have been watching the same games that you and I were watching because he was playing so poorly at the end. Performance also comes into play. Now, whether you want to debate how much of it was the shoulder and how much of it was Baker's just, just kind of lost it. Regardless, the bottom line was very poor performance in the last six games. I don't have the stats in front of me. I had, uh, diag- I had kind of laid all this out before. And meantime, you did have Case Keenum who played two games and started two and they won two kind of close, ugly games. And that's how he plays. And they would have, I'm not the only one. I've talked to some NBA NFL people who think that, you know, they might've won another two games that they played Keenum in there. Cause he wouldn't have lost them. You know, Baker was losing games and that's a fact. And Baker was hurt. Yeah. And there is two, there are two camps on this. Baker yes. shouldn't have, but shouldn't have wanted to play. And, and then there's the other camp, which is, Kevin Stefanski shouldn't have let him play. Yeah, so. just because a guy wants to play doesn't mean he gets to play. I'll tell you one thing. I, I always wanted to play at Benedictine, but they just wouldn't let me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it was injury-related. Cause, right cause by the, no, it was like <laughs> performance. No, they saw me play enough in practice. And no, we really don't want to do that. But you can laugh at it, but it's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. What do you see? You know, Bill Belichick, long ago, but what I see. Well, what I saw was a guy who was injured and playing poorly and losing his confidence and losing games. Other than that, it was great. <laughs> All right. So this next one, Terry, we've never talked about this on the podcast, and it's kind of an annual thing, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. This one is from Ira Beckerman from New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. He says, hey, Terry, I, re- I read that Art Modell is under consideration for the Football mm. Hall of Fame. No, 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 no. Am I making myself clear? I was born in Canton and through a timely coincidence was there when the Hall of Fame opened. My folks are from Cleveland. My grandparents emigrated to Cleveland. They all were lifelong sports fans, especially for Cleveland. I've rooted for the Browns since I was six six years old. Through my family, I remember their first championship. And he put remember in quotes. I still support the Browns through thick and thin, but Modell, no, 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 no. Please share this with the selection committee. So it's been a long time since Art Modell was first uh, nominated for the Hall of Fame and hasn't gotten in. Terry, Terry, should he get in one of these years? He did. I, I think he's credited with the idea of Monday Night Football and did a lot of other things for the league, but he also tore the hearts out of Browns fans. Um, where do you stand on this these well, days? Well, the biggest indictment of Art Modell, after the move, of course, but now he goes to Baltimore. 
he is given. Remember, Art Modell said in Cleveland, I don't have the support. You know, I financially, I was carrying all this big bird and all that stuff. So he goes to Baltimore. They give him a free stadium. That lease is so team favorable that when there were events there for other things going on, he got all this money too. Nonetheless, after a few years there, he had to bring in Steve Biscotti as a partner because he still couldn't do it financially. And then finally, of course, he sold it. Um, and so my argument was part of being an owner is being a good businessman. Art was a terrible businessman and it showed up in Cleveland and it later came out in Baltimore. Fortunately for Baltimore, you know, they had somebody else to kind of take it over a blessing for the fans in Baltimore was that now when Ozzy took over as general manager, Art was fighting all those lawsuits in Cleveland and he gotten older and he just didn't have the time to kind of do his meddling. And so Ozzy was able to build a football operation here. The heartbreaking fan part, if you're a Browns fan, and this was one of my themes of false start, was for 10 years, Art Modell sat next to Al Werner. Next to him. Werner was an equity partner in the franchise. All they had to do was flip it. Werner becomes the major owner. Werner had the juice with the city of Cleveland and the county to get a stadium built. Everybody knew Al Werner got stuff done. And then you probably would have had Al Werner owning the team, Art giving luncheon speeches, and Ozzy as general manager. And you would have won a lot of games. And kept your legacy in Cleveland. Yes, exactly. So that's the sad part. So I guess I agree with – I could add some more no's to his. Now, I believe <laughs> I believe Mary Kay Cabot and Tony Grossi are the uh, two voters in this area. I'm, to me, the football – I have no idea how they, how they do it. You know, they go into a room, they discuss things. I don't know all that. I've never been involved, so. Yeah, well, Clay Matthews, like, you know, I think, is back up again, too, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And um, I think Art Modell might have moved. I have to go back and check, but he might have moved from the regular nomination list to the veterans. Yeah, or whatever so maybe they call that. He I, might get in. I mean, who knows? He's Yeah. I'm getting baseball and NFL mixed up. So, yeah. All right, Terry, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, anything you want to plug? Any any books you want no, to? No, my life is to... very boring right now. So getting ready for training camp. and uh, But I do think that anybody wants to buy vintage Browns or vintage calves, you could probably find it. And you can check out all of Terry's books at terrypluto.com, right? That's you got it. To go. All right. Thanks, Terry. Great talking to you as always. Um, we are going to be off next week because I'm off next week. So we will be back in two weeks. Enjoy the All-Star break. And we'll catch you next time on Terry's Talking about.